right. We're glad y'all are here this morning. We've had a lot going on. Y'all be sure and tell your mama that you love her today. Why don't you sit right up here, bud? Sit next to me. Um, hey, so we had two ladies that were baptized this morning. That's something I don't know we do. We do in our church, and I don't know if you've seen it before or not. Um, so I want to talk about that just for a second this morning. So baptism. Um, the reason we baptize people, the simple reason, is that Jesus commanded us to. He said, if someone is going to be my follower, I want them to be baptized. And what that means is that uh, they make it public that they are a follower of Jesus. And that's what our ladies have done today. They've made their decision to follow Jesus public. And that's what Jesus wanted them to do. Now, it's a little bit odd. You know, years ago in Jesus' day, they would baptize people in whatever body of water they would find, like a river or a lake or something like that. Um, but today, we have this fancy bathtub upstairs that we baptize people in. And um, you know what I realize? I think one of the best ways I can do, the way I can explain it to you, is that when Jesus, through his blood, washes us clean on the inside, then we show other people that he has done that by being washed on the outside in the waters of the baptistry. So I want you to know that the reason people get baptized is because they have come to the place in their life where they have admitted to God that they are a sinner, that their heart is dirty and needs to be cleansed, and then they have asked that Jesus, through his death on the cross, would wash away their sins. But that's kind of like when Jesus washes us clean, he does it on the inside. He does our hearts because our hearts have gotten dirty because of sin. And when Jesus washes us clean on the inside, then we let other people know about that by being washed outwardly in the fancy bathtub upstairs. And that's what baptism means. I want to encourage you parents that you use the opportunity of baptism this morning to speak to your children about what that means and talk to them more about how Jesus cleanses us on the inside. Amen? Amen. All right, you kids can go be seated. Thank you. God in his infinite wisdom and power has composed the body of Christ, the church, and our church, so that every member of our church and of every church is significant and has a role to play. We as the church are like the components of a why. We're working together to accomplish our purpose. Just as the gears and the components and parts in a watch, they all move together, move in unison to achieve one thing. In that same way, each generation in our church works together, side by side, in unison, to achieve unity of purpose and of life. Each generation in our church has specific roles and gifts and talents in which they are responsible and get the privilege to serve and to give and to pour out within the body of Christ. 
generation to generation. When I was headed home last, uh, three weeks ago from my last trip from Africa, I boarded a plane in Monrovia, Liberia, and we flew overnight, and we landed in the Brussels airport, and it was actually about 4 a.m. Brussels time. I don't know what time it was in America. Uh, yeah, about something. And uh, after we had security, it actually opened about 5. Uh, my flight didn't leave till about 10.30, as I remember, that next morning. And so I went to my gate, I don't know, 6 a.m., 7, somewhere along in there. And I set up my gate, waiting for my flight that was going to leave from Brussels and was flying to New Jersey. And then I would have one more flight home. Hmm. And I've, I've made this journey a number of times, and I've sat in airports and watched people. But I sat there that day, and um, I started noticing something. This may sound funny, but uh, there were a lot of Orthodox Jews. And do you, do you, understand, you know what an Orthodox Jew is? I mean, I, we're from the South, the Bible Belt. I don't know where these people live. They don't live in Huntington, Texas. Uh, they have the men are dressed in black pants, a black jacket, a white shirt, and they have the black hat, you know, and a beard, and then they have these ringlets. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't know if they're called ringlets or not. But a very, my point, a very distinct dress. And I'm sitting there, and so I'm there for three or four hours. And I keep noticing all these Orthodox Jews. I'm just thinking, I don't know what's going on here. And sure enough, when we get on the plane, there are four, five, six families of them. Dad, moms, children, that board our flight. Well, and we're all sitting in the back, you know. And I'm, all, I'm like on the next to last row, and I'm sitting there, and there's a seat between me, and then there's a, a man from Africa. He'd probably been on my last flight. So there's a space in between us. And there's a young Orthodox Jewish man who keeps, before we take off, he keeps going back and forth in the aisle. Hmm. You know. Keep your eyes peeled. No. Um, and finally, he approaches the African man that is sitting next to me with the space in between us, and he asks, he's trying to say to this man, but I don't think this man speaks English, if he could switch seats with him, he said, because they have put me next to a young lady. And I thought, and the African man thought, he's not picking up on any of this. And finally I said, I will do it. And so I got and I went. And do you understand? According to his faith, he was a single young man, and it was not appropriate for him to sit these eight hours that we we're going to be on this flight next to this young lady. And so he needed to move seats. I thought, hmm, well, that's respectable. What happened is I ended up sitting in this whole section of Jewish people. Well, I've got eight hours to observe Jewish people. It was, and it was interesting to me. They had a distinctive dress. And then when they would bring food by, uh, the father or the mother would look at the ingredients. Well, first, uh, first thing they did when we had our first meal, they brought a kosher meal, right? It's, a, it's sanctioned by the rabbi. Uh, a special meal and uh, I noticed the mother had 
kosher snacks. Looked pretty good to me. But anyhow, she didn't offer me any. Uh, but when, then when they would bring other things, the father would say, I, I need to look at the ingredients on that. Uh, and he would decide whether they could have it or not. And for me, it was just a fascinating study to watch people that were obviously raised different than myself. And you know what occurred to me? Because I, I look, and there would be these little boys with the starts of ringlets. You know, their ringlets weren't as, father, as long as their fathers were. But uh, these little ringlets and little distinctive little Orthodox Jewish boys, you know, in the, in the little black pants and a white shirt, you know. And it was just, it was really cool to me to watch. And I tried to strike up a conversation with one of them, and it was like stranger danger or something. Okay, never mind, you know. Uh, don't want to be a creeper on the plane or anything, so never mind. Just I will track that question, you know. Uh, he, was, he actually responded to my question, but that was kind of it. Do you know what, what occurred to me? That according to the Jewish tradition, all those little kids were raised to dress that way, conduct themselves according to certain morals, to eat certain foods, and to live out the faith. And I would contend from what I saw and what I know that it was those parents that were instilling that faith into those children. And I just don't have life experience in that, but I have biblical experience. And I, I realize that the one scripture that an Orthodox Jew would read every day would be the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. And it says, Hear, O Israel, our Lord, our, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you take a plane ride, or whatever you do. You know what I asked the Jewish man across the aisle from me? I asked him if he had been to Jerusalem because what occurred to me in the midst of the flight is we had celebrated Easter, which falls during the time of the Jewish Passover. And I asked him a very ignorant question, apparently, whether he had been to Jerusalem for Passover. No. They had been to see family, but almost like we would travel for Christmas, they would travel to be with family during the time of Passover. And I thought of those, what I know of the Jewish Passover, and realized that in the midst of that meal that's once a year, there would be a child that would be instructed by the father to ask certain questions. And then the father would answer, you know, Father, why on this night of all nights do we eat bread that's only unleavened? And the father would tell of the story of redemption of his people from centuries ago. I share that story with you. And I just want to share a couple scriptures this morning and we'll be finished. To say on Mother's Day, uh, in a time in our church's life when we talk about 
generation to generation that we as Christians must be as intentional with our children as the people of other faiths. So that people would look at our children and say, oh, they're Christians by the way they talk, by the way they conduct themselves, by the clothes that they wear, by their patterns of life. And I thought, wow. We've gotten this idea that we kind of just expose our kids to it and kind of let them make their own decision. I think, you know, the Jewish people are much more intentional. I think probably most of the, uh, the Muslims, a lot of the Muslims are more intentional with their children than that. We as Christians who have hope that we have Christ, that we have, we have the answer, we have the truth, surely we ought to even be more intentional with our children in teaching them the things of faith. Last week, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. We're going to be there in just a second. Uh, last week, we started to look at the relationship, the intergenerational relationship between Paul and Timothy. And their lives challenged us that we are responsible for passing down the faith. The generation that goes before must intentionally pass down the faith to the generations that come behind. And we see that Paul did that in the life of Timothy and he instigated a relationship with him and he invested his time and his teaching in him and he involved him in the work of ministry. And you know, most of our verses last week were from 1 Timothy. I want to look at just really just a couple verses quickly this morning in 2 Timothy. And the word that creeps up twice in 1 Timothy and twice in 2 Timothy is the word, Paul, or this, this concept, it's the word committed or entrusted. And Paul, four times when he talks to Timothy, says, basically remember what has been committed to you, like someone uh, would take money and invested in a bank would put it in a bank I'm entrusting that money Paul kept saying remember what has been entrusted to you the faith that has been passed down to you and in 2nd Timothy he says what has been committed to you entrusted to you pass down to faithful men who will pass it down to others and so yes there is a challenge for us as a body of believers a community of faith to say we must invest in, in relation, intergenerational relationships that we pass down our faith to the next generations. And we talked about that last Sunday. And we see that in Paul and Timothy. But actually, what we learn from what Paul says in 2 Timothy is that this is the truth. Discipleship starts at home that's the whole sermon this morning discipleship starts at home yes when Timothy was an adult Paul came and Paul discipled him that's not where he got his start he got his start at home in 2nd Timothy 1 5 2nd Timothy 1 5 Paul says Referring to Timothy, when I call to remembrance 
the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. The start of Timothy's journey of faith started at home in his grandmother and in his mother. I told Amy this week that the only time the word grandmother is in the scriptures is right here in referring to Lois, uh, his grandmother. Gigi, you want to know what that Greek word is? I know you do. Amy was fascinated by my Greek this week. Yeah, oh, she it's the Greek word that is, would be pronounced mama. So the Greeks would have called their mother mother, but grandmother would have been mama. I don't know what grandfather is, Robin. I, I don't know. It, it's never mentioned in the New Testament. There's no grandfathers mentioned. You know, it's interesting that actually what we see from Acts 16 is that we, we have to assume that Timothy's father was not a believer. So, really, I, I want to say this morning, ideally, discipleship starts at home. Sometimes that's not the case. And yes, the church must come and disciple. And, but the church, in I, ideal circumstances, comes to partner and support families that are discipling their children. If last week you listened to me and I said, God's going to lead you to people of the generation that is before you to invest your life in and you go, who is that in my life? I would say to you this Sunday, until that time, there are some little people that God has put at your feet. And it is your God-given responsibility to raise those children up in the faith. That's the way it was for Timothy. In fact, he had two generations, a grandmother and a mother that came to faith. Paul says that the faith first dwelt inside of them. And so the sequence was they were believers. And then they passed it down to Timothy. I love that word that he says when I, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith. He doesn't just say faith. He says the genuine faith. Actually, that word genuine is a word uh, literally that means without hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is that putting on a show of religion and Paul said, no, when I think of your grandmother and your mother, I realize it was the real deal. They lived it out in their action and in their words. And so just like Paul invested his time in teaching in Timothy, so as parents, we are to invest our time and our teaching, not just in our child's education, not just in their sports or extracurricular activities, but we are to invest our time and teaching in their faith. We are responsible for our children's spiritual formation. One other verse. Actually, it's two verses, but they're right, back, right there together. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and if you read that in this context you're thinking oh Paul's going to say hey he's going to you got to remember what you've learned and you think Paul's going to say it's me that's taught you those things that's not what he says on this occasion 
He says, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And actually that word for childhood does not refer to someone who is of elementary school age. It refers to those who are of preschool age. It, it, is, the, it is a word that means a baby or infancy. That when you were a child, surely sitting with your grandmother and your mother, they taught you the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. I shared this a couple weeks ago that we have a window of opportunity with our children. Oh, I don't know. Between the years of 4 and 10, 3 and 9, somewhere along in there where their worldview is forming. And it's like concrete that is setting up. And it is critical that we take that window of opportunity and we instill in them the Christian values. My challenge to you today is that you would be intentional investing in your children's lives. Now that I've become a grandfather, I understand it is also my responsibility to invest in my grandchildren's life in their spiritual formation. And of all the things that Paul could have mentioned, and, and obviously we teach our children to pray and there's no substitute for that. And we pray for our children, we pray over our children. But the scriptures that Timothy learned from a child, from childhood, from infancy, children are smart. And if you will start them at a very early age with the scriptures, what does that mean? Well, buy a devotional book. Spend time before bed in, in reading those Bible stories that are, that are age appropriate. Uh, begin to teach your children scriptures that they can learn. I did it last Sunday when we, we learned, hmm, what was that? What verse was that? I taught the children last Sunday. It would be Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That'll preach right there at home. Mm-hmm. Pull out the Jesus card at times. It's, it's powerful. Um, parents, teach your children in the midst of life. Take baptism. And sit down your children and talk with them. When we have the Lord's Supper, talk to them about that. Begin to talk to them about salvation and your story and what God is doing in your life. And they're getting it. They're getting it. They're going to get something from you. And it's critical that you, you give them uh, the truth of God's Word. Take, and I said this last Sunday, take everyday experiences and use those teaching moments that are spontaneous and were unplanned and teach them the truth of God's Word. 